The Jewish faith makes many a bold claim about God's nature, unchanging and in a state of complete unity, simple yet omnipotent. He is unknowable, yet he is aware of us with complete omniscience. In other words, he is a godlike being. But how is this known to us? Is it simply a matter of faith? Or did he leave us the clues to discover all those things about him? I'm Avi Cohen, and this is Jewish Thought Flow. Hey guys, and welcome to the fourth and final installment of Proving God's Attributes. This is Jewish Thought Flow, episode 5. In the previous episode, the third installment, we concluded that the only logical source for all of reality as we know it is a single, completely abstract, conceptless entity. We wanted to call him God. However, as you may remember from episode 2, we explained that God happens to have many attributes. In fact, those attributes is what we set out to demonstrate at the beginning of this whole long proof. The problem is, how do we go from a simple God, meaning this concept, conceptless entity, to a God with many attributes, right? We said he's omnipotent, omniscient, beyond us. How do we, how do we explain that a God who has zero concepts also contains all these concepts or abilities, The answer in short, and then we're going to get a little bit more into it, is that God does not have these abilities because he's defined by containing these abilities. Meaning, these abilities do not describe his essence. Rather, he has them because he is not a concept excluded from them. Meaning, you wouldn't describe him as all-powerful. Rather, he happens to be all-powerful because he's not excluded from being all-powerful. But we're going to explain more as we get into it. So let's deal with the first concept. The first concept, would let's deal with his omnipotence, right? So we said one of God's abilities is omnipotence. Omnipotence means God can do anything. He can break all rules of nature. He can create worlds. He can create something from nothing. He can destroy worlds. He can do anything. So how do we know this? So let's assume our concept that we've proved of the previous um, installments. God is a conceptless entity. So now we're going to see where does inability come from? In order to claim that God is fully able, it would be nice to define where inability would come from. So all inability comes from being defined by a certain set of characteristics. For example, humans cannot fly because the human set of characteristics does not include flying. I know that sounds circular. I'm not explaining why humans don't have the characteristic of flying. I'm just explaining why when I say human, he's excluded from flying. It's because whatever a human is does not have the capability for flying within him. It's not part of his nature. So a human set of characteristics would be being able to think, being able to speak, being able to walk. Right? Those are what you would think when you think of a human. A human cannot fly. Because that's not what's included in the definition of a human. That Maybe that's the definition of a bird or a plane. Those both fly, but humans do not fly. Another example, nature. So nature can't be broken, right? There's a rule that all things in nature, that's how it works. You can't cause it to not be that way. Or well, a regular human, right? A regular human cannot cause gravity to stop working. Why? Because all physical reality has the characteristic of of operating under a certain set of rules. That's what nature is. It's the way physicality operates. So that way the physicality operates is the way physicality operates. And therefore it is not within the set of 
the capabilities of nature to operate in a different fashion. In other words, everything has a certain skill set, a certain characteristic, certain abilities. And we cannot do, we are not potent in areas that extend beyond our skill set. Therefore, God, who was defined as a conceptless reality, can do anything he wants because he has no limited skill set, right? There's no box you could put him in that would exclude him from other boxes. Now, you may be thinking, let's flip this thing around. Maybe say it as follows. The reason why we have ability to do things is because we have a certain set of skills. And what we could do is included in that skill set, right? Let's not work negative. Let's not say... Let's not say that the only things you can do, or the only things you can't do are things outside of your skill set. Maybe the only things you could do are within your skill set. And therefore, God, who has no set of abilities, right, he has no skill set, because he is conceptless, should not be able to do anything. The answer is that we are again mistaking the term conceptless. By conceptless, we do not mean devoid of concept. So when we say God has no skill set, it doesn't mean he has, he has the existence of lacking a skill set. Because if that would be the case, God would not be able to do anything. However, since being devoid of a concept is itself a concept, so then that's not what we mean when we say God is conceptless, right? Lacking a skill set is in itself a type of skill set. It's the lack thereof, which is a very poor type of skill set. If God was devoid of concept in reality, meaning that he's lacking concept, any action would be a contradiction to him. If he has concepts, then only that which follows one of the concepts he has, he would be able to do. Like, for example, if God was big and strong, he wouldn't be able to be small and weak. If he was defined by nature, he wouldn't be able to break nature. Any action that would not be included in his definition of what he can do, he wouldn't be able to do. However, when we say conceptless reality by God, we mean he is not bound by any concept, nor bound by being the lack of a concept. No scenario, here's another way of saying it, no scenario is a contradiction to his reality. Therefore, he can do anything. In other words, God can't do anything because he's defined as omnipotent. That's not why he's able to do anything. It's not because he is an all-powerful one. Because guess what? An all-powerful one is a concept. How do I know that? Because it's different than not being all-powerful. If you are not all-powerful, then you are excluded from being all-powerful. If you are all-powerful, you are excluded from not being all-powerful. God is neither. He's neither all-powerful nor non-powerful. Rather, he can do anything because he is not excluded from any particular action. The reason why God can break the laws of nature is because he's not somebody who's bound by the laws of nature. But he's also not bound, he's also not not bound to the rules of nature, right? He's not beyond being bound to rules of nature. He's just not bound by the rules of nature. Therefore, he can manipulate that nature if he so chooses because he's not beyond manipulating nature because that itself would be a concept. But he's also not, he doesn't have to manipulate nature. Therefore, he's not defined as the manipulator of nature as opposed to not being the manipulator of nature. So this preserves his simplicity and at the same time allows him to do whatever he wants. He is neither defined by what he can do nor defined by not being able to do so. Unknowable. The next concept, the next attribute we say about God is that he's unknowable. So this is pretty simple. How can one know him? He has no concept. 
He's also not devoid of a concept. So in general, there are two types of knowledge one can have. There's positive knowledge and negative knowledge. Positive knowledge is how I know things that are within my experience. For example, I positively know what a chair looks like. I know what a table looks like. I know what the concept is, right? I know a chair is, again, how you want to define it as legs, as a flat surface, whatever you want to decide you can sit on. That's what a chair is. I understand the concept. The table is legs, a flat surface, which generally used for not sitting, for eating. That's what I know what that concept is. I know what these concepts are as opposed to what they are not. This is positive knowledge. Since God has no concepts, there's obviously not going to be a way to positively know him. Because humans only think in concepts, right? Every single thought you have is a concept. If God is not a concept, you can't positively think about him. You don't know what he is. But the other type of knowledge is negative knowledge. This is the type of knowledge we can apply to things we cannot or have not experienced. For example, infinite. I can't grasp infinite, what it is, because it's just not in the realm of human understanding because humans think in finite terms. However, I do know what it is not. I know it is not finite. And in that sense, I grasp what it is. And in fact, we've used this in episode one for proofs. I don't know what it is, but I know what it's not. Okay? I know infinity is not going to be a finite amount. And you can use that knowledge for certain uh, gains. And that is a type of knowledge. It might be a negative knowledge. It might be the same type of knowledge as the way I know a chair, but it is a type of knowledge. I don't grasp spirituality, right? I can't conceive of what spirituality uh, looks like. It doesn't look like anything, but I can't conceive of its existence. But I do know it's not physicality, so I know that much about it. This is called negative knowledge. This, too, cannot apply to God because just as he is devoid of concept, he's also not devoid of concept. Meaning, just like he has no concepts, he also doesn't have the lack of concept. So, no matter what I'm thinking about him, either I'm thinking about he's devoid of concept, or he is a concept, both of these would be inaccurate, right? It comes out funny. The sentence that God exists is only true in a certain sense. He doesn't exist as opposed to not exist. So even to say he exists is not knowing him because our version of existence is as opposed to non-existent. It's the elephant is in the room as opposed to being not in the room. That's why I know things, right? I have a chair in the room I'm sitting in as opposed to it's not existing in the room. And that's what I mean. God does not exist like something exists as opposed to not exist. Because again, both of those are concepts. He's devoid of both. So when we say we don't know anything about God, we really have no idea about him. So now, this does not contradict when we said that he's omnipotent. Because saying he's omnipotent does not let me know anything about him because he's not the concept of omnipotence, right? He's not that he is able to do anything. The way he's able to do anything is just merely not being excluded from any category or being defined by any category. It still does not let me know anything about him. It's not like I know he's omnipotent and then I have a conception of him as opposed to being not omnipotent. Because he's not omnipotent as opposed to not omnipotent. He's just omnipotent because you can't exclude him from that category. As opposed to also being able to exclude him from that category would also be. So again, like we said in the previous episode, putting words to this is always going to be a problem. But putting enough words to it, you can sort of abstract the idea beyond the words and, and know what we're talking about. Okay. So now, we also said God was simple. That was also one of the uh, 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 
abilities he has or, or descriptions about him is that he is simple. So this one's very easy, right? Simple means no qualities whatsoever. If God is a constantless reality, that is the definition of no qualities. Even he's even has no qualities of being lacking quality. Again, like we said, he's not lacking qualities, both to having qualities. So that's really no qualities. That's about as simple as you're going to get. Okay. Unity. We said God is completely unified with the world, right? So this means that God is completely one, right? Sorry, he's one. So we said in the Rambam that it means he's one. He's not one as opposed to two. He's not one as in a, a one concept that contains many parts. So we're going to explore that, what that means a little, flush it out a little here. What does this mean? What does it mean that God is one? Aren't a lot of concepts one? Let's take the concept blue. Isn't that one? There's one concept blue. What multiplicity is contained in the concept blue? It's just blue. It's about as simple of a concept as you can get. There aren't two blues. Blue is not made up of different parts. It's just blueness. However, that's not true. The answer lies in what we've been saying. As we proved before, all concepts are by definition compound. Compound means made up of two distinct uh, ideas or concepts or realities. Every concept is made up of two concepts, that it is and what it is, meaning Whatever the concept is and that it is real are the two concepts which makes up an existence. There's no oneness in the world of concepts. Only by God, who is a true conceptless reality, can true oneness and unity be achieved. The other idea in one that we said is that God is a one that there's no two to him, right? It's not like one, it's not like one apple and then a second apple. You can't say that about God. He's not one God as opposed to a second God. He's not one concept as opposed to a second concept. This will all make sense after we discovered what we've discovered. All concepts have seconds, right? And by definition, in order to be a concept, you have to have one concept and then another concept because whatever my concept is, there's going to be that reality to differentiate from another concept. Whatever makes it a concept makes it different than any other concept. Take any concept you want. Blue is going to be different than yellow. A table is different than a chair. By defining it in a certain way, all you have to do is say, well, another concept would be not that, right? A table is something with a surface and legs and you eat on it. What's another concept? Not that. Blue is a certain color, not that would be the other concept. Any concept you choose, just add the words not that at the end and you have your second concept. So any concept has a two to it. The one would be what it is and the two would at the very least be what it's not. There are a lot of other things that are like there's a table and there's a chair. But even if you didn't have a chair, you'd have a table and you'd have not a table would be the other concept. However, God in his conceptless reality, there is no two to him. Right? There's no one conceptless reality and then two conceptless reality. Because since they're both conceptless, there'd be nothing to differentiate them. There wouldn't be one and two. If there would, they would both have a concept. Okay, let's go to the next attribute. God is omniscient. God knows everything. So this is sort of the same idea as omnipotent. If we were to posit that God lacked the ability to know everything that is going on, this would mean he has a limitation and that would be a concept. Right? The concept would be the inability to know everything. All right, and the last attribute is that God is unchanging. So this is going to be the difficult one, right? So the claim is that God does not change at all no matter what happens. This is, at first glance, very hard to understand, very difficult to understand. Let's take the creation of the world, right? God's favorite project, the creation of the world. God created the world. So if the world was not always here, this means there's a reality to the non-existence of the world. It's a concept, right? The world non-existing is a type of reality as opposed to it being existing, right? Even if that reality was never played out, 
it is still a type of reality, the ability to be non-existing, the concept of a non-existent world. Okay, God obviously would exist even in that reality because he's not defined by belonging to the existence of the world. So that means even if the world would not exist, God would still exist. And we said this explicitly in the name of the Rambam. Okay, so then the world is created, right? There's a concept the world was created. Why does this not change God, right? In his reality, essentially, there is no world. And then he creates a world. So we went from a reality of no world to yes world. Even if that didn't happen in time, it certainly happened in concept, right? You went from a potential concept of no world to a potential to a actual concept of yes world. That is a change. God could have been in a non-world reality, and now he's in a world reality. Why doesn't that change God? Now, even if it doesn't change anything essentially about God, right? He's still the same God. It certainly changes his relationship to the existence of the world. Before he had no relationship to an existent world, now he does. Remember, part of our belief about God not changing is also that he doesn't change even in relationship to other things. So how can we claim he didn't change? There wasn't a world, right? The world is finite. There wasn't a world. And then there is a world. In order to answer this, we have to define change. Okay, change means a transition from one stage of being to the next. That's what it means. That's how we're going to define it. Change means you're in one state, now you're in another state. If you have a better definition of change, feel free to email me. So let's take the material of metal because we like working with that. If I were to take that metal and form a spoon, this would be a change. Previously, this metal was shapeless outside of its shape of the metal, but it didn't have a particular shape. Now it has assumed the particular shape of spoon. This is a transition from the stage of shapelessness, again, a borrowed term because it obviously has a shape, it's in existence, but at least not the shape of spoon to the stage of shape of spoon. If, however, I would take a spoon and not change it, meaning leave it as a spoon, this would be no change, for there's no transition from stage to stage. Both stages are identical. The stage of Spoon being spoon, and the stage of spoon being spoon are identical. Sorry, the stage of metal in the shape of spoon transitioning, or lacking of transition, to a shape of metal in a spoon would be no change. The two stages are identical. What would be a change? If the spoon went to turn into a cup, let's say it took that spoon and changed it into a cup. That would be a change. However, now, even within the spoon from metal example, there was an aspect that didn't change at all, right? So even in the, the example we gave where the metal turned from a mass of metal into a spoon, something didn't change, right? It's metalness. There was zero change to the metalness of the metal, regardless of the shape it assumed. So if you're focusing on the shape aspect of the metal, it did change. It went from shapelessness to spoon. If you're focusing on the metal aspect of the metal, it went from metal to metal. There was no change. It doesn't matter the shape it assumed because metal can assume different shapes. But insofar as its metalness is concerned, it did not change. Before, the only change occurred to its relationship to shape. Before metal was attached to lack of shape, now it's attached to shape. But insofar as the metalness is concerned, there was no change. All of this is to illustrate that the definition of change is transition from stage to stage. It doesn't matter what the form of transition is. Any form of transition would be the change. If there's no transition, 
like we saw by the metal spoon that stayed as a metal spoon, or like we looked at the metal of the metal changing into a spoon, the metalness stayed the same, we couldn't describe that as a change. We can only describe it as relationship change because usually uh, previously metal was attached to a shapeless mass, now it's attached to a spoon. But insofar as the metalness is concerned, not its relationship, it didn't change. So staying in the same stage or in the same state of being would mean you don't change. This is how God avoids changing. Before God created the world, his reality was not defined as lacking a world. Right? He didn't have the relationship to the concepts absent of world. God has no relationship to concepts. That is a concept. To be related to something is a concept. God is conceptless. The reality before the world existed, insofar as God is concerned, was not lacking a world. God would, did not have to deal with the absence of a world because that's a concept. God is conceptless. In order for there to be a concept of a worldless reality, God would have to create it. It's not just if the world doesn't exist, then the ipso facto, but insofar as God is concerned, is an absence of a world because God is conceptless. So in order for a concept to exist, they have to be created. So just like you have a concept called the existence of a world, there's a concept called the absence of the existence of the world. Both are not going to find God. So before God created the world, he wasn't defined by the absence of the world. Even if that was a reality, that is also just a concept. And his relationship to said concept of being ap- of having a world which was not in existence or the lack of existence of a world would again not be something God has because that would be a concept. So when we say God is absolutely conceptless, it means before the world existed, he wasn't lacking a world. And after the world existed, he doesn't have a world. The change is only insofar as the world itself. Insofar as God's reality, which is not being defined as lacking a world or having a world, there is no change. Because again, in order to change, you have to go from one state of being to another. Since God's state of being was not one lacking a world, then the emergence of a world does not change that. In other words, whatever God is, whatever consciousness reality that is, is going to be found equally in the non-existent world as is in the existent world. Because he's not non-existence that would be excluded from the existent world, and he's not existence of world that would be excluded from the non-existent world. He is neither. Therefore, he can exist the same way in both. For since God is not a concept, nor the lack thereof, he is not bound by existence, nor excluded from it. For those of you who have been listening and following, you have achieved something quite admirable. Not only have we succeeded in finding another proof for God's existence, We've also managed to prove all of the Jewish beliefs about what God is. But most importantly, more important than us proving it to ourselves, we have gained an understanding about what we mean when we say all these things. As usual, remember to subscribe. If you've not done so already, please share with friends and family. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star rating or whatever rating you feel comfortable, but better be a five-star.